Hello and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie out of the greater Cincinnati areas. And thank you for listening, of course. So what are we going to get into today for today's episode? Well, we know that we are in this 2023 September-ish, actually it's still August, but we're getting close, uh, September-ish of 2023 um, in the greater Cincinnati area. We do have a property shortage for certain, limited supply, but we still have a very hopping um, investor market here where multifamily properties are still very popular and people are looking to to buy them. Sometimes they congeal a or cobble together a group of investors and they buy things as a group. And that has happened several times recently. So we uh, are always um, obliged to inspect the properties. And so I want to talk about a little bit with you investors and you uh, agents uh, who are listing these properties and representing the buyers, of course, what typical things to expect. That's one thing. Yeah, that's a given. But as an investor mindset, what are the things that you, that, that you need to know about to keep you out of trouble? And we're going to talk about an older property in this particular uh, podcast and some idiosyncrasies, things that you just might not think about, but you do want to be concerned about. Okay, so for the listing agent, you always want to make things very accessible and give plenty of notice to your tenants. We don't want to run into situations where we have to come back and reinspect because there were eight to ten units that were supposed to be inspected and we were only able to get in seven because somebody had great big dogs and they pretended to not be there or they invented some excuse, whatever it may be, or they changed the locks. These are things that we have definitely encountered so many times I can't even count the number of times. So we're very used to that. So we try to avoid it at all costs. And so for listing agents, make sure the property is very accessible. Um, all the keys work even the night before verify with your tenants remind them you know maybe tell the owner to please make one more set of phone calls to the tenants text them whatever it may be you know probably don't have to call you can just text and that's good enough everybody's got a got a cell phone and they do receive texts for the most part so okay so let's say we've gotten the listing side all set up and we're getting ready to inspect and um, it's really good if you have something more than four units or even four units or more to have a property manager there to make sure that we get in that's you know it's a big event you're selling a property of a high dollar property usually and making sure somebody's there to make sure the inspector gets in to kind of be our host is always a good thing that makes the transaction go smoother and makes the whole experience that much better. So we would really appreciate that. So just an encouragement to make that happen if you at all can. All right. What about you buyers? Okay, so you're cobbling together several investors or maybe you're doing it on your own. And even if you have done several other investments, I hope you get something out of this podcast. 
I want to talk about some things that we definitely take into consideration um, when you are doing your uh, inspection. All right, so when you schedule the inspection with us, there's a few things that we ask. We always look up the property and try to figure out the age of the property. If something is, say, older than 60 years, we really strongly suggest you do a sewer scope. If you're dealing with a large property of maybe 8 to 10, 12 units, then the sewer scope may be more than one sewer line to tap, to scope. And most of these companies, um, I'll give, I'll give a shout out to Mainline Inspections in Cincinnati and Underground Detective in Cincinnati. They really do a good job and they provide reports, which a lot of people don't provide reports. They just give you a video and expect you to interpret it. Okay, well, that's all good for an add-on. That's why we don't do that as a company. We do, we stay in our lane. It's not that we're trying to avoid doing sewer scopes, but it is a specialized um a specialized skill and people do write reports for these are really the best of the breed because they interpret what you see and give you some advice about it and they don't do the repairs themselves all right so there's that <clears throat> so if it takes more than one tap more than one pipe to go in then you do expect to pay more and not just a single scope so do keep in mind the price may vary for your sewer scope it is very important to get one. What are some other things to expect for these particular units? You're going to find some units have been renovated and some have not. That's pretty normal. If you have a tenant that's been in there 10 years, did you renovate their unit? No. Why? Because they were never out, not in the unit. You need a few days to renovate a unit. And so you may have for example, this most recent one, we had uh, eight units in this property. Actually, was that right? Eight units? No, there were ten. Ten units in this property. Eight of them were re renovated, two were not. Guess what? You had two long-term tenants. And the street front unit, this is pretty cool, was an Airbnb. Well, how about that? Uh, so you had nine units that were rented, and then the other one was an uh, Airbnb. Interesting. So if you're in an area that has uh, some gentr gentrification going on, you're in a kind of a uptown kind of a scenario and you've got some historical stuff nearby, um, it may be pretty hip to do an Airbnb. That may be something as an investor you may want to consider. Um, you just have to gauge kind of your clientele, those who are renting from you. Are they going to give your your Airbnb uh, renters a, um, or clients a bad impression and scare them away or are they making it inviting and they're, they're not causing issues and, and so forth and so on. So that's something to think about. All right. This uh, particular unit, I, I'm just going to say, it, it's pretty cool when you have the uh, Georgian, not Georgian architecture, but rather the German architecture and you have kind of a cone, peak, turret, whatever you want to call it, at the top. And you have the rounded corner. So you have kind of like several stories of rounded bay windows on the corner of the property. And then you have a cone roof uh, with um, 
you know, with a peak, some people call it a turret, but that's like a castle term. It's not really a castle term. A turret is where you are able to shoot a crossbow, bow and arrow, cannon, uh, musket, whatever it may be, out of the um, corner with, with stone and so forth. And it's this isn't really a turret, but some people call it that. I call it a cone roof, geodesic roof, whatever you want to call it. So um, that had an attic. And it had a window at the corner, and, well, the window had been busted out many years ago and was covered with plywood, which kind of doesn't really look that great, and should have something there instead of plywood. And the plywood actually had a hole in it, too, so which can let birds and bats and other stuff in. Um, So getting in that attic for that cone roof area... Though it was a pull-down staircase, it was still very tricky. It still tested all of my um, physical ability to get up there. And then also there was the roof hatch to go out of, but it was not of the faint of heart. Um, In fact, if I had fallen backwards, I would have fallen through the uh, pull-down staircase opening onto the the tenant's floor. Um, So I really had to kind of finagle myself and and I'm just going to say for home inspectors uh, you agents and clients don't take them for granted Uh, there are things that we do to stay in shape to be somewhat flexible somewhat uh, dexterous and to have good balance Um, there are limitations of what we can do we are not um, we are not human contortionists, although sometimes I play one on TV and maybe I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, but neither here nor there. We do have to remain in good shape to be able to do some of the things that we do because um, it is a physically demanding career. Um, so we try to take care of our bodies and not wear ourselves out. Uh, so staying in shape and, and remaining healthy is, is important. So... I'll just say that this one required me to use my flashlights to set up kind of a scenario of being able to see because it was like the light coming out of the roof hatch interfered with the light coming through the pull-down staircase and then the natural light and it just made everything hard to see where I was stepping and where I was trying to get out of the roof hatch onto the flat roof which by the way was combined of two separate buildings that were built at two separate times with two separate roof pitches and that made it that much more difficult as well so there were definitely some observations on the roof about uh, some of the chimney deteriorations which can be expensive these things you shouldn't take for granted what happens if the bricks on a chimney become loose and people are walking on the sidewalk in an uptown or downtown environment or or, uh, setting and some of those bricks during a heavy rainstorm or after a snow snow or ice storm. This is when water freezes, expands, makes cracks worse, pushes bricks apart more, and they fall off the roof and hit somebody in the head. That's dangerous. So that needs to be fixed. So that those findings were put in the report. Um, the roofs look really good. They were flat rubber membrane. One of them was a TPO roof. I won't go into that right now, but... Uh, the other was a straightforward EPDM rubber rem- membrane roof, and they were in good shape, and they were also not that old and, and installed correctly. The, the, the 
turret or the cone roof, however, was half shingle and half slate. Not a good combination. Either finish the job or fix the slate and make it look historic again and, and go all out. I'm probably suggesting to remove the slate and do, redo the whole roof with the appropriate three-tab or architectural shing, uh, shingles and then replace the um, window with either glass or plexiglass or something there needs to be done. And then underneath the, the overhang, which, which actually there's a round gutter going around there that was tin, which is all fine, but there was a gap going into the... The, the flashing was not covering it, and, and pests could, could get in anywhere underneath the overhang of that roof. Uh, so that definitely needs a repair. Okay, so what other things did we observe about this property? And as an investor, if you're investing in a... And, and by the way, this was, I, I guess I haven't mentioned it yet, but it was probably about 120 years old. And it was full brick with actually, believe it or not, it was a poured foundation. That was very impressive. So it was one of the early poured foundations close to the river. Why do I say close to the river? Well, physically it was. For the age of this property, which was approximately 1905, you didn't have cars, right? So if you didn't have cars, how did you get the concrete to pour it? You had to pull it from a horse-drawn carriage. Um, that's tough. Uh, how did you get concrete from a concrete um, factory, whatever you want to call it, concrete supplier to the site? Maybe you mixed it on site and you had the powder and the aggregate and all that stuff, or it was pulled in a horse-drawn carriage at a rapid rate in small batches but it starts curing immediately because it's out in the open. It's not in an enclosed container. How this had poured concrete in 1905, I actually don't know, um, but it is quite an enigma and interesting to think about. But it was poured concrete. That's pretty cool. Some of the other things that you need to think about when you have larger multifamily properties like this, apartment buildings, is you're not gonna have one water heater, you're gonna have two. So you got double expense there. And if they're about 75, 80 gallons each, they're probably about $1,500 to $2,000 units, depending on if they're high efficiency or regular. So that's something to think about. Maybe you don't want to replace both of them at the same time. One of these was older, and quite frankly, it was leaking out of the, um, the temperature pressure relief valve discharge pipe. It was leaking and just kind of pouring out of there, which really means that that water heater's failing and the water pressure coming in might be too hot, too high there. So, and the other thing to think about electric, what about all the units? How much, how many amps you're going to have for those? And we've seen recently a couple times where they had 70 amp panels and they were fused. That's not good for a modern, modern appliances and so forth. Those really need to be replaced with either 100 amp panels or 70, and maybe the overall um, <clears throat> supply coming in needs to be upped maybe to two 150s, or maybe you can get by with one 200, um, but that's for a licensed electrician to determine. Most of these stoves were gas. You only had one set of washers and dryers in the basement, 
and you had house lights. So quite honestly, you probably still could get by with the 70 amp panels, but they do need to be uh, breakers, not fuses. So electric can be expensive, especially if you're upgrading all the panels. Take that into your calculations when you're doing negotiation. You may or may not be able to get that in as part of your negotiation or calculate the cost. If you're paying cash, that's a big difference if you're paying, uh, if you're getting a loan. If you're getting a loan and they lower the price, you're only lowering your payment. You're not lowering the overall cost that you got to shell out of your pocket because you'd still have to pay cash and pay an electrician to make that repair or replacement. So these are things you want to think about. Uh, what about uh, the foundation? I would say it's very important to keep the water from seeping in along the sidewalks as it brushes up against the foundation. The gap between the sidewalk and the foundation, especially if there is a root cellar entrance, which can be rusted, by the way, and people walk on those, so that can be dangerous. The root cellar entrance, the metal uh, covers for the doors for that need to be in decent condition so they're not going to fall through if somebody walks on it. You want to keep water from seeping into and causing termite damage and rot to to the uh, floor joists of the first level, which basically is the basement ceiling. So these are things you want to think about. The foundation, the brickwork, etc. This one was pretty good. I, I really didn't have that many complaints about it at all. Here is one you don't think about. Okay, um, and, and before I get to that, I'm gonna mention the boiler. A lot of times, as a uh, owner, you provide the water, which means you provide the hot water, which means you really provide the gas. Gas and hot water, which leads you to believe also that you probably have a circulating boiler. You wanna make sure your circulating boiler isn't leaking, none of the radiators are leaking, you're getting proper heating and cool heating with it. Um, they are usually tied into sometimes with the water heaters, so you have everything being done all at once there. Um, so you do want to make sure your boiler doesn't become something that you need to replace right away because that can be a ten dollars to $20,000 endeavor, uh, but you want to make sure that thing works very well, the thermostat works well, you have a company that will service that once a year, maybe dewinterize it and get it going for you, and then you got to determine if you are the owner of the window air conditioners for your tenants or if they own their own. So these are things to think about. <clears throat> All right, moving on to the last subject for these multifamilies. What about the fire escape? Oh, didn't even think about the fire escape. There's fire escapes on some of these older properties? Yes, there are. And the windows, okay, some things about fire escapes. You're not allowed to put air conditioners on them. No, no. They are need to be they need to be accessible by the tenants on the sides of the building whether the hallway accessibility, okay? There's usually one window in the hallway that gets onto the fire escape. Why? Cuz not all the tenants uh, units touch the fire escape. So you got to be able to exit your unit, go into the hallway, open the window and get on the fire escape. And that window needs to be able to be open. So the windows need to be able to work. Putting plants and other stuff on the fire escapes? No, no. Fire escapes need to be kept clean and clear. The city will tell you that no matter which city you are in. 
Now, a lot of cities do fire escape inspections. However, these can be expensive repairs. What do I mean expensive? Sometimes repairing fire escapes, which sometimes were soldered instead of using bolts, solders are not preferred by the fire escape engineers that exist, and there are some throughout the country who design and repair these, these units. And it is, I'm calling it a system or a unit. They are attached to the side of the building, sometimes into the joist, sometimes just the mortar. And they can be very heavy. They get rusted. Sometimes they are never tested. And the ladder is not supposed to drop straight down. They call it a guillotine ladder. Ooh. So guillotine ladders just drop straight down and go slam into the sidewalk. Yes, that's right. You don't, I don't need to describe how that works any more than that. They are supposed to be counterbalanced and swing down and not drop straight down like a guillotine ladder, okay? Um, the rust should not be visible. They should be in good working condition with all connections, railings, etc. There shouldn't be any missing mortar where they attach to the building. So if you see some of these things, they do add up. It is not cheap to repair a fire escape. So what kind of expenses are you talking about, Richard? Well, I'm talking about, you know, maybe a minimum of $2,500 up to 20, 20 grand, 30 grand to fully repair, sometimes replace fire escapes that are in very bad condition. Wow, I didn't think about that as part of my investment and I don't want my tenants to sue me and so I don't want to be cited by the city either. So do take into consideration the fire escape as part of your purchase and what sorts of things you need to do with that, okay? Um, but these buildings tend to be built very well. And if you take care of these things and you take in consideration your structure, which is your foundation, um, I didn't talk about termite damage, but sometimes that can be part of this as well. Making sure your sewer line isn't going to cost you a gazillion dollars and have to be replaced, etc. Your boiler, your roof, um, one more thing, and the last thing I'm going to bring up is the water main. Oh, I didn't think about the water main. So depending on if your property is like less than 1920, older than 1920, you may have a lead water supply line. Oh, crap. What do I do with that? Lead water supply lines with real estate transactions, at least in the city of Cincinnati, are required to be replaced with part of that real estate transaction. How much does that cost? That could probably cost upwards of three grand, um, depending on how many linear feet has to be traversed and, and cut sidewalk and, and cut into the foundation. And they basically just cut off the old lead water supply line, punch a hole in the front foundation wall and run a new one and tie it into the city's line. That really depends on how much work is involved there. Some cities have different approved vendors or plumbers, I should say licensed plumbers, that do this work. Sometimes there are discounts if you work with these plumbers. Not saying that sounds really above board, but it is what it is. Um, so you want to uh, make sure that your lead water, your water supply line coming in is not lead. If it is, factor in maybe three grand to replace that. So as you see, these things do add up. Uh, and as an investor too, 
it's going to make a difference if you have the original windows versus new vinyl replacement windows or maybe not new but you already have them in place when you purchase the property um, so roof fire escape water main the electric um, heating and cooling meaning your boiler and making sure you don't have some structural issues with the building these are really the main things you want to take into consideration when you're purchasing a multifamily property like this, which I would say call it an apartment building, and um, take into consideration when you are scheduling your inspection, working with your group of investors or yourself, and negotiating with uh, between your realtor and the listing agent for the property. Most of these, when you get um, above four units, they tend to be on LoopNet. They tend to be listed on the commercial sites, which LoopNet is, of course, the premier one for, for that. I'm not advertising for them. I'm just saying that's where I tend to look up the properties. Also, we like to look them up on Google Earth to see if there's a roof hatch, um, to see what size they are before we price them out. So give your inspector a little bit of time to to uh, maybe even call you back and price it out without just throwing a number out. Um, we, we like to do a little bit of due diligence as well. Okay, so I hope this has been really informative for you and put you on a great path towards uh, being an investor and keeping a good cash flow and your expenses low and your expenses predictable. That would just be great. You know, you of course want to have a home emergency fund or a property emergency fund. Um, even Dave Ramsey talks about that. So why wouldn't you have one as an investor either? Take a certain percentage of your, of your intake and put it aside for property taxes, put it aside for repairs and kind of budget so that you always can pay cash for different repairs, replacements, like if you have to buy a new boiler. Wouldn't it be great to not have to get a loan for a boiler, but you just buy one? Of course, it's not great to buy one at all, but you know what I'm saying. All right. Well, I'll stop uh, running off at the mouth here. And uh, until our next episode, this has been the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie of First Inspection Services. That is spelled with the number one ST at the beginning and inspections is plural. And so First Inspection Services, Greater Cincinnati Area, thank you for listening.